Well, one of the things that I like to do during the Advent season is look at the theology of Christmas carols. Christmas carols are rich with biblical truths, rich with theological insight, rich with the understanding of God's heart and everything that God intended to be accomplished through the coming of His Son. I don't know what your favorite Christmas carol is. Mine is one that we looked at last year. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Words like, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Or, Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. For me, those are rich, wonderful, theological truths. They flow from the heart of God who desires our restoration to Him, a restoration that He accomplished through the only means possible, the saving work of His Son. Tonight I want to look at the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. It's one of our most familiar Christmas carols, but it was not written with a focus on the birth of Christ. It is nevertheless an Advent hymn, for it has as its focus the second Advent of Christ. The Christmas carol that we know as Joy to the World was not written with that title. It was written by Isaac Watts, who authored hundreds of hymns, almost a thousand, among which are many of our best known, such as When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Absent from the Flesh, O Blissful Thought, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, Marching to Zion, and Jesus shall reign. The text of Joy to the World was first published in 1719 in a work authored by Watts that was entitled The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to Christian state and worship. Now, that's a rather lengthy title. Take a moment and think about it, process it. The Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Now, by the way, when he said Christian state, he was not speaking of some sort of nationalistic so-called Christian perspective, but rather he was speaking of the Christian life, 
the state of you and I being in Christ. In his work, Watts paraphrased the Psalms so that they could be sung in common meter and understood from a Christological perspective. The third verse says, He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. The theological perspective from which Isaac Watts writes is especially seen in that third stanza. He based the words on Psalm 98, verses 7 through 9. Because those words, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, are not found in Psalm 98. This verse has been omitted from some hymnals. Let's take a moment before we go any further and look at the full text of Psalm 98. The psalmist begins by saying, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. I want you to keep that sentence in mind. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in them. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the worlds in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, once again, it was these last three verses that Isaac Watts paraphrased that became the hymn we know by the title of Joy to the World. Now, he did not give it the title Joy to the World. That was added later on. He simply termed it Psalm 98, Part 2. The Messiah's Work and Coming. Let's go back again to the text of that song. And specifically, that phrase, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now, as I mentioned, 
In many hymnals, that verse is omitted because it is not part of the text of Psalm 98. But in the scope of of Scripture, we realize that Watts has captured for us both the efficacious and the eschatological nature of Christ's work. That is, what he accomplished by his sacrificial death, and what is intended in the future for us to experience as the culmination and the fullness of his saving work. We read these words in Genesis chapter 3. In the scenario of Adam and Eve having sinned, and God having come to them and called them to account because of their sin. He pronounced a curse upon the serpent. He pronounced a curse upon Eve, but also gave the promise of victory that would come through her seed. And then we read in verses 17 and 18, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Here we read, In the opening verses of Psalm 98, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. The elder who was speaking with John At the announcement of the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19, declared to him that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is operational across the centuries of biblical prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy gives testimony about Jesus. And that is true in the Old Testament and not just the New. It is because of that spirit and because of that testimony that those in the Old Order, such as the psalmist and the prophets, were anticipating a future when the earth would experience joy replacing the pain of the curse and righteousness replacing the deception and inequity that exploits all of creation. These opening words are of Psalm 98 are reminiscent of the scenes recorded by the Apostle John as he heard the 24 elders sing a new song about the salvation accomplished by the Lamb on behalf of people from every tribe and language 
and nation. You and I can see a beautiful correlation between what we read there in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and these words that open Psalm 98. The same is true about other passages that we find sung in worship before God by the inhabitants of heaven, such as chapter 11, verses 16 through 18, chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. Please take time to go back and read those passages and see how the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Such a beautiful correlation between what we read in a passage like Psalm 98 and the worship that is sung in heaven. The prophet Isaiah foresaw a day, a day of salvation, that would so eclipse the nation of Israel that it demanded telling to all the world what the Lord had done. A work of salvation that would far exceed the covenant relationship that God had entered into with a specific group of people, the Jews. A new work, executed through His Anointed One. A work that would embrace all peoples and would establish justice on the earth. Now, all of this is emphasized in Isaiah 42, a chapter that is entitled in our Bibles, The Servant of the Lord. Directing our attention to the one whom the Apostle Paul tells us fulfilled all the promises of God, making them yes, to which we add, Amen. Now we often think of that verse and we often emphasize that verse in relation to something that we are praying and asking the Lord to do in our immediate circumstances, our present. But the promises of God go far beyond our immediate needs. From the perspective of God, they embrace everything that God has ever desired and intended to bring about. In His work of salvation and the restoration of His creation to display His glory. These verses are but a few of many salvation promises that the Lord our God made. Promises that were incapable of being fulfilled by any other or any less than the one in whom the fullness of God dwelled and through whom, the Apostle Paul tells us, God reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 25 to 26, the Apostle Paul wrote, For Christ must reign 
until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Whether nature or humanity, everything that God created was created to reflect God's glory. His divine nature and His power. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, are revealed through everything that has been created that can be seen. The heavens declare the glory of God. By the same token, whether nature or humanity, all has come under the curse of sin and the sentence of death. Whether nature or redeemed humanity, we ache for his blessing to flow as far as the curse is found. This is a truth that the Apostle Paul emphasized in writing. His wonderful spirit, emphatic chapter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8. In it he said, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So once again, all of creation, whether it is nature or humanity, whether it is birds and flowers and trees and mountains and rivers, or you and I, who have been made alive in Jesus Christ and yet still remain in these bodies that are subject to the curse of sin. All is groaning, waiting, aching, longing, for the full redemption when the final enemy of death and decay has been destroyed. When such a time comes, the words of Psalm 98, with its salvation emphasis, will be experienced not only by the people who have experienced the salvation work of God, but by all of nature that is groaning, longing 
aching to be brought into the redeeming work that God has accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist wrote, Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Nature, humanity. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. When is he coming to judge the earth? That was not part of his first advent. Jesus himself declared that he did not come to judge and condemn. He came to bring salvation. But the time is coming when there will be an eschatological fulfillment, an eschatological advent. The first advent was salvation. It was the efficacious work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second advent will be when he comes to judge the earth. And the psalmist tells us that when he does so, they will experience a release that they do not now enjoy. Rather, they are subject to decay. All of nature oppressed by the curse of sin. But when he comes, all of nature will be released. The rivers will clap their hands. The mountains will sing together for joy. For the Lord comes to judge the earth. Once again, as I just said, one of the primary eschatological anticipations of the psalmist and the prophets is the day when creation that is now under the curse of sin will no longer be muted in its praise of its creator. What is known as bioacoustics has made it possible for scientists to hear nature in a way that is undetectable to the human ear. From sea turtles to bats, from bees and flowers to coral and fish larvae, to dehydrated tomatoes. All of creation is talking, making sounds, communicating in continuous conversation, much of which the human ear cannot hear. Let me give you a few examples. Many species that were once thought by scientists to be mute actually make noise. In some cases, lots of it. For example, research has found that Amazonian turtles, sea turtles, make more than 200 distinct sounds. That turtle hatchlings even make sounds 
while still in their eggs before they hatch to coordinate the moment of their birth. Research has shown that mother turtles wait nearby in the river, calling their babies to guide them to safety away from predators. It is the first evidence that scientists have found regarding prenatal care in turtles, which were previously thought simply to abandon their eggs. Or let's think about bats. Oh, don't we all love and admire bats? We may know that they feast on mosquitoes, alleviating that aspect of the curse. But we sure don't want them to be in our houses, do we? But the sounds that bats make are much more complex, filled with information, than scientists realized. It was a century ago that scientists began to understand that bats exercise echolocation. But recently, because of bioacoustics, they've learned that bats make sounds, vocalizations, for many other purposes. And using AI algorithms, scientists have discovered that bats remember favors and hold grudges. That they socially distance. That they go quiet when ill. And that they use vocal labels to identify or to reveal individuality and kin identity. Bats learn territorial songs in specific dialects from their fathers. Isn't that an amazing fact? They learn territorial songs in specific dialects from their fathers. And they sing those songs to defend territory and to attract mates. Researchers in Costa Rica studying sack-winged bats found that mother bats babble to their babies in mother ease, much like humans do when talking to a baby. And that baby bats learn to vocalize by these sounds that the mother bats are babbling to their babies. Coral and fish larvae find their way back home by honing in on the unique sounds that coral or unique sounds that are made by the reef where they were born. Moths have within themselves 
echo jamming ability to hide themselves from predators like bats. And here, humanity thought that we devised echo jamming ability so that a missile could not find our plane or a plane by stealth could evade radar. God was way ahead in how he made creation. Flowers and vines give out echo location to bats in order to lure them as though they were using a bright acoustical flashlight. In response to the buzzing of bees, flowers flood themselves with nectar. Tomatoes, when they are hydrated, communicate, speak, and scientists are able to hear those tomatoes making known that they are dehydrated, or corn seedlings speaking a distinct language as they are growing, all of them making noise that is beyond the frequency of human ear, something that we cannot hear, because the fact is our hearing has been damaged by sin. And nature has been muted so that it cannot be heard. One article about bioacoustics had contained this statement that all of creation is speaking, quote, full of resonant mysteries of sound of which humans are only beginning to become aware. Well, the psalmist and the prophets understood something by the Spirit of God that scientists and bioacoustics are now understanding that there is a voice spoken by sea turtles, by bats, by flowers, by bees, by coral, by fish larvae, that speaks in response to its creator, a voice given it by the one that designed it. When you and I read and hear of these things, we can understand a little bit better when Jesus said, if these children are quiet, the very rocks and stones will cry out in praise to me. One day, every voice 
will be unmuted. One day, every ear will be opened. You and I will be able to hear the sounds of nature in ways that you and I cannot hear. We might read the words of Psalm 98 and think, yes, I've heard the sea resound when I've gone to the beach at Ocean City, the waves crashing on the shore. Or we might think of the water flowing over the rocks, like in the Potomac River. I've heard the rivers clap their hands. I don't know if you and I have ever heard the mountains sing for joy, although we might say, well, I've heard the mountains the wind blowing through the mountains. Remember, science is showing us that there is much that we cannot hear. Our hearing has been damaged by sin, and nature has been muted. But one day, salvation truly will flow as far as the curse is found. And heaven and nature, along with you and I, redeemed humanity, will sing with joy before the Lord. What an incredible day that will be. Hallelujah. Here is Isaac Watts' paraphrase of Psalm 98, part two, verses seven, eight, and nine. The Messiah's coming and kingdom. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, and wonders of his love. Isaac Watts wrote it as a paraphrase of Psalm 98, verses 7 through 9. You and I know it as the Advent carol, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this evening together together to look at your word to look at the words of this song to look at the words of the psalm that have given us this song and to rejoice in the future that you have prepared for all of creation and for us father we pray that we would live with exceeding expectation, with overflowing anticipation 
for your return. For the day when you will come to judge the world, to release all of creation from the curse of death, and to restore its voices and our hearing so that all of nature praises you the way that you intended. We thank you that we will be part of that day, part of your victory, part of your glory, part of your reign. Thank you that you have delivered us from the curse of sin, the judgment, the wages of sin, and that we have this glorious hope. Hallelujah. We thank you for your grace that you extend to us every day, for how we experience your blessing, your presence, your goodness in our lives. Father, thank you for keeping each of our people throughout this day, and we pray that you would protect them and watch over them through this night. Should you tarry, bring each one of us safely to tomorrow. For we look to you, we trust in you. And should you come tonight, Lord, may everyone in our church family be looking forward to and anticipating your return and the fullness of life that awaits us when you will transform our lowly bodies Subject to death, decay, sickness, weakness, and will make us to be like your glorious body, experiencing your righteous fullness of life. Thank you for that hope that we have. We pray your blessing upon one another in the name of Jesus. Amen.